Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. You know, I don't know a lot, but one thing I know is we need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other. We can't do this alone. You know, one of the first things that God said about man in creation was it's not good for him to be alone. He had created everything, and there's this this repeated phrase every time he had created something, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he makes man. Let us make man in our image and let him rule. And the first thing he he sees when he looks at man, he said, it is not good, Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper who's just right for him. And, and not only is it not good for man to be alone, it's not good for woman to be alone, it's not good for us to be alone. Human beings are herd animals. We're not compared to tigers, we're compared to sheep. And sheep are herd animals. We need each other. That's just a part of what it means to be human. And yet today in our world, we're more isolated than ever before. Isn't that right? One wise guy said, Americans are not only loners, they're lonely. And I think part of that goes to this uh, love that we have for our way. I can't think of a better way of saying it, that I I want my way and I, I love my autonomy, I love my independence, I love my freedom, my liberty, my existential experience, I love all of that. And when you get involved in that, I don't always get my way, so I wanna live without your involvement in my stuff, but at the same time, I long for the communion that is necessary for me to live and be a human being on this planet. And so I don't really want to have friends. I don't want to really be a friend, but I want to have friends. And my mom used to tell me all the time when I was little and I'd complain, Mom, I don't have any friends. You know, she'd say, well, Billy, to have friends, you have to be a friend. And I think that's something that Solomon wrestled with. Uh, he really plums the depth of this in Ecclesiastes chapter nine, chapter four, verses nine through twelve. So let's get our Bibles out, turn our devices on. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine. Now remember, the key to Ecclesiastes is to look at this through the eyes of the writer. We have to slide into his sandals. We have to slip into his robe. We've got to understand from the perspective he's looking at. Solomon, at this point in his life, was a burned-out shell of what he once was. I mean, early in his life, he embraced the faith of his father, David. He had an intimacy with God. He had an optimism about life. He had an optimism about wisdom and all of that. And he writes it all down in, in the book of uh, Proverbs. But now, later in life, he's drifted so far. Solomon came to the point where he introduced false gods into Israel. That's how far he had fallen. And he's indulged every desire of his life. You know, he's pursued lust. He's pursued rank materialism. He's gone crazy with money and uh, you know, projects and power and all that other junk that just seems to rip, rip the life right out of us. And now he's at the end of his life looking and clawing his way back, trying to find where is real significance? Where is real meaning? I've got to somehow get back to this. And yet in the midst of that sort of um, self-oriented fog that he's living in on a horse. Remember, everything is vanity of vanities, all is vanity, but it's all on the horizontal plane. What 
benefit is all the labor we do under the sun. Got that? And in the midst of that fog, he still sees clearly what he's longing for. And God speaks through that to us. Last time we saw the problem with blind ambition. And one of the real critical problems with blind ambition is it leads to loneliness. Uh, uh, Chapter 4, verse 8, a man who is all alone with no companion, he has no children or siblings. And so here's the interesting thing about Solomon at this time. He had everything but nobody. He had everything but nobody. And man, that describes where our world is today. We've got everybody but nobody. We've got everything but nobody. Um, He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, but he didn't have intimacy. Uh, He had uh, siblings and children, but he didn't have any brothers or or a son. Uh, He's really isolated. And some of this comes from just being the top dog. You know, they call it the lonely howl of the top dog. And the, the, the further you go up in the pyramid, the, the, the more friends that you tend to have to live without. And, and, and I get that. But that's not just true for those guys. It's true for the rest of us as well. Um, and we can feel the same sense of aloneness and loneliness that Solomon felt just like, just like we do. So in these few verses, he longingly looks at the power of communion. And so let's start with that. Let's talk, first of all, about the power of communion, and then let's talk about how we can build communion, okay? The power of communion. The irony here is is that he understands exactly how important this is. He's looking at it. He realizes how important it is, but he still doesn't have it. And here's what he says about the importance of it. He says, first of all, two are more productive than one. That's obvious. Uh, Two people, this is verse 9, two people are better than one because they can reap more benefit from their labor. And you see that more benefit from their labor? That seems to imply one plus one equals two, right? And we know that. But maybe we don't know about synergy and the power of two people working together. Do you know what that word synergy, is that a word you're familiar with? It's a word that has become more familiar. But the idea behind synergy is it means the effect of the whole is greater than the effect of the sum of the parts. Uh, Webster defined it this way, combined effect of two or more agents is greater than the effect of either of the agents used alone. Does that clear it up? Let me make it more simple. One plus one equals three. I was watching a YouTube video and this guy was uh, talking about these things called Belgian draft horses. Have y'all ever heard about that? And he said that a single Belgian draft horse by itself, can pull. Now, these aren't riding horses. These are pulling horses, right? And so he says a single Belgian draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds. And I I suddenly stopped and I thought, wait a minute, I've got a pickup truck with over 300 horsepower and it can only pull 8,700 pounds. Something's wrong with my horses, you know? (laughs) Why is it one horse can pull what 300 horses can pull? But then he makes this statement, and I thought it was interesting. He said, one horse can pull 8,000 pounds, but two horses, two Belgian draft horses hitched together can pull 22,000 pounds. Not 16,000 pounds, 22,000 pounds. And that kind of stopped me down. I'm like, that seems like a lot. Two are pulling 6,000 pounds more than two should be able to pull. And so, you know, you can't always trust everything on the Internet, so I looked it up on the Internet. 
Isn't that what we do? We'll see one of these things and we'll go, I don't know if I can trust that. I need to Google that. And so I Googled it. And I looked at multiple sources, and not only is that true, but I learned something else about Belgian draft horses, that if they're raised as a team, and if they work as a team, uh, and if they're trained as a team, they can pull not 22,000 pounds, but 32,000 pounds. Two horses that should be able to pull 16,000 pounds can pull twice that. Two horses pull what four horses should be pulling. You know what we call that? Synergy. And that same synergistic relationship of horses is true of us as well. We are, we are uh, synergistic people too. So two of us is more than just one plus one. It's, it's one times, uh, well, one times one is still one. Let's see. It's two, one times, well, one plus one equals three. That's what it is. It's more than we should add up. And, and it's not just the physical strength of it. It's not just the hand me a wrench or can you catch the end of that board making work easier. It's the combined effort of my perspective, my talents, my mind, my wisdom, your perspective, your talent, your wisdom, your insights, your spirit in you. And together we become exponentially more powerful. So why do we keep trying to go at it alone? Can I ask a question? Who in your life is helping you pull the load? Have you got somebody? Second thing he says is two are more encouraging than one. He says, for if they fall, one will help his companion up, but pity the person who falls down and has no one to help him up. If one falls down, the other helps him up. You know, sadly in the church, often that is not the case. When a person falls, rather than trying to help him up, we tend to put him down. You know, our calling isn't to, you know, kind of fold our arms, look to the side and go, man, I can't, could you hear what happened to that guy? You know, I heard a lady one time years ago say, the church is the only army in the whole world that shoots its own wounded. When one falls, the answer is not to condemn or pile on or put down. The answer is to lift up, right? And so we lift each other up. I've got to tell you, there have been times in my life where I needed the encouragement. Isn't that what this is all about? Isn't that why we're here today? Don't don't forsake the assembling of yourself as is the habit of some, uh, Hebrews says, but come together for the sake of encouragement. And the word encourage means to be filled uh, with courage. And so we, we're like a intravenous shot of courage every week. And that's that should go beyond just this Sunday morning into every phase of our life. There have been times I'm not sure I could have kept going if somebody hadn't lifted me up. You've got to have that in your life. And notice the downside. Pity the one that falls with no one to pick him up. I don't mean to pry, but can I ask you, who catches you when you fall? Put a name on that. Two are more resilient than one. Verse 9, furthermore, if two lie down together, they can keep each other warm. But how can one person keep warm by himself? You know, that's true physically. Years ago, I took a group of teenagers on a wilderness uh, uh, trip to uh, Colorado. We backpacked to the top of Mount Princeton. We camped out for about four or five days. It was pretty pretty tough. But as they're giving us our camping gear, um, I noticed that the tents we were going to be sleeping in were little three-man, what I would call pup tents. And the thought of, of spending the next five days in a three-man tent with a couple of teenagers was not super exciting to me. I mean, it's like, can we not have our own tent? 
or maybe get a bigger tent, but I don't want to, I don't want to spend three days, four or five days in a tent with a bunch of teenagers, uh, two other teenagers. And I said, what's the deal with the little tents? And he said, trust me, you'll thank me later. And man, was he ever right. At the top of that mountain, the temperature dropped to about 20 degrees every night. And inside that tent, the heat of the three inside that confined space kept us warm. That's exactly what he's saying. But you know, it's not just the warmth that we feel physically. It's also true spiritually. Solomon's talking about his own isolation. This is... Uh, this is autobiographical. He's revealing his own experience. And it's not so much the warmth of the body that he needs, but it's the warmth of the fire of faith that he needs. Because spiritually, he had moved so far away from that, to be honest with you, his fire had gone out. And that's what, that's what happens when we stop meeting together. The fire goes out. Paul said something to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. This is why I remind you, now look at this word, to fan into flames. Uh, the New American Standard translates that, kindle afresh. That single word is a three-component word that meant put the fire back in your life. Fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. And here's what I read from that. I need the fire in you to help keep the fire in me. Did you hear that? I need the fire that's in you to help keep the fire in me because to keep each other warm, not just physically, but spiritually. And again, I don't mean to pry. Can I ask you, who helps tend your fire? Who helps tend your fire? Can you put a name on it? Two are better protected than one. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12. And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. You know, I once read that the Marines had a saying that whenever you dig a foxhole, always dig it big enough for two. Because you want somebody to catch your back. Uh, you're far more protected with two than with one. And we know that. We get that, don't we? But what we fail to remember is spiritually, we're in a battle. You know, Paul said, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Uh, and Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil is like a roaring lion roaming about to, to, uh, to, to seek someone to devour. I mean, this is a battle we're in. And I need to know you got my back and you need to know I've got your back because we're together protected. So one more question. Maybe I am prying, but I don't mean to, to push too hard on this. But can, can I ask you, whose foxhole do you share? Can you put a name on it? Here's, a, here's the sad part to me. Solomon knows all of this. These are his words. He knows it. But he still doesn't have it. I mean, look back at verse 8 again. A man who is all alone with no compassion, he has no children nor siblings. And you know what that tells me? It tells me I can know the power of community all day long. It's not enough to know. You can know everything. Fact is, you probably already knew everything I've shared with you so far this morning. You already knew that. You know you feel isolated. You know you feel alone. You, you know that 
that these things are true, that I need somebody to help pick me up. I need somebody to help tend my fire. I need somebody to help with protection. I, I know I need that stuff. Then why don't you have it? Because it's not enough to know. So let's talk for a minute about how do we find communion? How do we build community? There's power here. God built that into us. Solomon longed for it. But how do you get it? Now, the first thing is this. You got to get connected. You got to get connected. Stop forsaking the assembling of yourself together as is the habit of some, he, Hebrews says. Well, listen to what uh, the description of the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 said. They were continually devoting. You see that? Continually devoting. And that's just one word in the original. It, and, and the emphasis of it is they were constantly, consistently, every day, all the time, always doing the thing. What are they doing? They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So this isn't just fellowship to just sort of swap stories about life experiences, but this is fellowship grounded in the truth of God's Word. They were the apostles' teaching, and look at this, fellowship. Remember what fellowship is? What's fellowship? We've gone over this. There's going to be a test. Fellowships, two fellas in the same ship. How hard is this? It's people with common experiences, common life, common values, common goals. And that's where we find our commonality. But notice it doesn't just happen. It's not a one and done. It has to be continually devoted to. In other words, you have to train for this. You have to constantly be involved in this. You can't just show up on a Sunday morning for, you know... Uh, an hour that feels like two to you, but you know, you got to be giving yourself to it all the time. It's, it's one one day a week's not enough, um, and and to do this, you've got to make it a priority. You can't do it any other way. It's an investment, and for some of you, this means you're going to have to push through your personal social anxiety. You know, there are more people today with social anxiety than I've ever seen before. The generation I spoke to in the earlier service, they don't struggle with social anxiety the way y'all do because they grew up talking to each other and they talk face-to-face and they learn to read expressions and they would rather have a face-to-face than a phone call and they'd rather have a phone call than a text. You don't, want to, you don't ever want a phone call, do you? My goodness, if you get a phone call, that's tragic because now you're committed to that whole phone call. And you got to listen until whoever's talking's done. Who wants that? Just text me, and I can pretend I didn't get your text. <laughs> Don't lie, you did that. I told your moms and dads and grandparents on the last service that you do it on purpose. So you're going to get a text. Or you'll probably get a phone call. But you have to connect face-to-face. And you've got to push through your social anxiety and say, you know, I'm uncomfortable, but I need to find a group that, that, that's looking for the same things I'm looking for. And for some of you, it'll mean changing your priorities, investing more in the things of the Spirit than in the things you're invested in right now. Second thing is you've got to get over your hurts. I get it. Someone hurt you in the past. Welcome to the human race. Get over it. Man, I know people that don't get over anything. I was with a guy one time driving down the road. We saw another guy, and he said, you see that guy right there? 15 years ago, he beat me out of 70 bucks. I said, for real, you've been carrying that for 15 years, huh? 70 bucks. 
This guy didn't get over anything. Didn't matter who hurt him, he's still cl- You know, I've got a friend that calls it a hate bus, and we load these people onto our hate bus, and we haul them around. You, some of you got hate buses that are full of people. And they don't even, a lot of them don't even know they're on your hate bus and couldn't care less. So you're expending all this energy to haul them around. Some of you got dead people on your hate bus. You haul around corpses, you know. You're still mad at them. They're dead. They don't care about you, okay? They're not thinking about you. I promise. Get over it. Listen to what the Bible says, Hebrews 12, verse 15. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. You see that? That you fail to receive the grace of God. What did Jesus say in the, in the, the high priestly prayer, in the Lord's prayer? What did he say? And forgive us our sins. How's the rest of that read? Does anybody know? As we have forgiven others. Don't fall short of the grace of God by holding on to bitterness, and in doing that, you fail to receive the full measure of the grace on you. That's what he's saying. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Keep conflict short. Don't let a root of bitterness grow. Get over your hurts. It's easy to hate. It's hard, but it's healthy to forgive. And then walk in light. This is the key, 1 John 1, 7. But if we are in the light... As God is in the light, look here, we have what? There's that beautiful word again, koinonia, fellowship. And what's fellowship? It's on the test. It's two fellows in the same ship. We got it. You have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the key. If you want communion with each other, you've got to walk in the light, which means you maintain communion with Christ. That's where the bond is. That's where the real bond is. I was talking to my brother about it, and, and Ben was like, you know, uh, he calls me Billy. You know, Billy, uh, I'm so grateful that you invited me to that dorm Bible study so many years ago. And, and I did invite him to the dorm Bible study, but just in the process of reading the Scripture, he came to faith in Christ. He said, that changed my whole life. I said, changed both of our lives. I mean, the whole trajectory of our life changed completely, and we walk in this blessing. And I said, it's so hard to get that across to non-believers how blessed you are in Christ. It's just, Ben said, it's, it's like trying to explain color to a blind person. But when you're in Christ, you're in family, and there's a belonging there that transcends all of our other differences. I was in the Ukraine years ago, and I met a Baptist preacher in in Ukraine. And immediately we had a bond of fellowship. Immediately. I didn't even know him, didn't know his family, didn't know anything about him, but we were immediately brothers. And through an interpreter, we're sharing stories and talking about ministry and life and faith and all that stuff. And it's like, I should have known this guy my whole life. He's my spiritual brother. And I said, have you always been in pastoral ministry? He said, no, I was in the army, in the Soviet army. I said, what did you do? He said, I was a captain over an intercontinental ballistic missile with a nuclear warhead aimed at America. And I thought... What a profound irony that I'm sitting in a room with a guy who is now my spiritual brother who at one point was aiming a nuclear weapon at me. And I realized when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another that transcends. There's no black and white. There's no liberal and conservative. There's no Democrat or Republican. Do you know there won't be a single Democrat or Republican in heaven? There's no assembly of God or Presbyterians or Methodist or Baptist. 
There's no rich and poor. There's no educated and uneducated. There's no Starlington Panther or a Ouachita Christian Eagle. There's no West Monroe Rebels. All these things that we use to divide us. There's no Americans or Russians. The only thing we have in common that makes us family is we walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship with one another. And so the question is, do you walk in the light? You know, it's like, man, I'm so tired of being alone. I'm so tired of being isolated. Do you walk in the light? You know, you can be different. It starts with a relationship. I always talk about that. When I cry out to Jesus and I just say, Jesus, here I am best I know how, I give my life to you. And those of us who know Christ to say, God, you know what? I'm I'm a believer, but I've been walking in darkness. It's time for me to walk in the light because I'm lonely and I need the power of communion and the power of community in my life. Do you need that right now? Is that, is that where you are? You know, the saddest thing about a big crowd like this is you can be even more lonely in a larger crowd. And maybe today it's time to do something about it. I want to pray for you. Before we do the Lord's Supper, we always give an invitation because we don't want to come to the Lord's Supper unless we first examined ourselves. So I want to give you time to examine yourself and ask you, first, do you know Jesus? And second, are you walking in the light? And if not, what do you want to do about it? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the power of communion. And in this moment, Father, as your spirit speaks to us through your word, um, we yield to that. And I pray for those that need faith in Christ. I pray for those of us who have built our relationships around the wrong thing and the wrong people. And Father, I pray that we would seek that bond of union that transcends all the other divisive things that are in our life. And I pray that we would come together before you and that you would heal our loneliness in this moment. Heal our loneliness. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.